morning. Oh, no. Any, you want to pop another one? Oh, oh no. Dude. Welcome to Don't Be the Artist. <laughs> I'm Hagen. I'm Dave. I'm Jackson. <laughs> I'm Adam. Guys, we've been practicing this. we got to get better. Uh, I just opened um, a Smirnoff Ice. <laughs> On purpose. Yeah, why did you open a Smirnoff Ice, Dave? <laughs> because your fiancé iced right before the episode started iced me and my fiance do you do you like the oh is that do you like the uh the 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 the, the pictures on it oh they're great i'll send uh yeah. i'll send adam a picture of the picture so that we can put that in the we took we took polaroids of us uh flipping off the camera and then she tied them on to the smirnoff very good <laughs> that's great it's it's it was it was hysterical <laughs> This week I'm uh, not drinking a vinegary drink, but I'm drinking a Dr Pepper that may have been sitting there for long enough that it's turned to vinegar. So, you know, does it, does it taste good? We all—it's it, fucking Dr Pepper, dude. You know how it tastes. I know. I'm just asking, just to be safe. It's the weirdest thing that I like because, you know, just all things about me point towards that I don't. Oh, Dave! Oh, wow! Dave, Dave just drank that the whole. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes are watering oh that's funny oh it's good uh is, is that the whole episode for you dave that's, you're yeah, he's out for me guys he's out <laughs> so uh I, I, we <laughs> i know i know we have an, uh, an agenda today but uh i do have to ask if you guys have uh heard about the do you, do you guys know the band trapped do you guys know that band no. You know the, yes. the song the, the song no. the song Headstrong? Oh yeah. Okay, so that lead singer has been feuding with people on Twitter nonstop for the past couple months and it's been going crazy lately. He like called out uh Sumerian Records, which is the record label between the Buried and Me, Periphery Animals as Leaders is on, just calling all the bands on it trash, saying like come for me, come at me, like you better be ready. And then like they didn't respond to any of the tweets and in a 10 minute span he basically said like whoever said they're gonna come fucking fight me better come do it like i'm strapped i'm ready for you so this is only one of the people he recently got in a feud with ice t and and ice t is like i don't even know who the fuck you are but you better be careful dude yeah the, i would not mess with ice t <laughs> It's it's amazing. I would highly suggest people just go read any Twitter thread, including the band Trapped, because it's gonna be funny. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah, dude, he get, he's got to be careful because if Ice Tea turns into his final form of water tea, dude's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> he's fucked. Dude, I love Rick and Morty so much. Yeah, dude, I'm so smart. Un, un, unsweet tea. <laughs> unsweet tea. That's good. <laughs> so uh, we have uh, gathered here today to uh, do a deep dive. Um, we, this will be our first deep dive, all four of us. We've uh, done them separately, and now we are uh, joining forces for uh, what I like to call a little collab. Ooh. A little collab? Yes, we are uh, talking about, um, I think it's uh, best that I introduce the band because I think this episode is going to be... Uh, Primarily, the things that will be coming out of my mouth will just be fangirling. So I think I should do a little bit of actual uh, heavy lifting 
before I get into that. Uh, so we're talking today about the American rock band, uh, My Chemical Romance. Uh, the, they're from uh, Newark, New Jersey, right next to New York City. Um, they were originally, they uh, started the band uh, in 2001, and their original run went to about 2013. And we'll get more into the history of that, but uh, you'll uh, know the band primarily as Gerard Way, Mikey Way, Ray Toro, and Frank Iero. Uh, they thank you so drummers. much for saying that. Thank you so much for saying that. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the drummers uh, they cycle through a lot of drummers, but uh, um, they did have one drummer during their uh, seminal era uh, that we'll talk about, but. Uh, I think a good place to start off here. Um, I will go ahead and start by saying uh, this band, uh, I grew up with them. Uh, I think a lot of us did, but I definitely grew up with their music and uh, at least two of their albums are super important to me and always have been. Uh, not even, you know, just from growing up with them. Uh, but so I know the band pretty well. Uh, do you guys, uh, Dave, did you know the band really much before this other than their big stuff no just the big stuff and some of like some of the later stuff i didn't know any of it i mean i had there were a couple of songs that on the last two records that i did recognize but or not the last two just the last record itself what about you adam yeah i was gonna say i'd never heard their first album uh, but i had heard the next two and never heard the final album so hagen i know you and i on the podcast before have uh gotten uh or I, I said some things that you found uh uh shocking coming from my mouth that i said that the uh uh the black parade uh was the most important rock album but also that that's not really what shocked you i think was when i said it was the most important concept album of the 20 uh 2000s the aughts or whatever we want to call them uh but from 2000 to 2010 and that upset you. And uh, I remember, if I remember correctly, uh, the next week you had listened to it and you came back and you're like, I get it. So did you know yeah. the band really? No. I, okay. So I, like, I mean, I, uh, in high school, when all of these songs were bigger uh, and I remember Guitar Hero, I remember the singles, uh, I remember liking all of it, but it wasn't really ever like my immediate like first listen um and then the more i met like i met you i met uh i met andy and i learned a lot about the band but i still wasn't super into it but then after i listened to black parade after you after you made that statement i mean yeah it's a it's it's something else it's very very important yeah so i i think you know we'll obviously get into that but uh i think that uh you know can uh, bring us to the conception of the band. Uh, if uh, so, the band was kind of the brainchild of uh, Gerard Way, the frontman, lead singer, um, and he kind of notoriously uh, he tells this story of uh, he was uh, basically what inspired him to create a band and do something is really kind of how he worded it uh, was. Um, uh, the September 11th attacks. So, as I said, you know, Newark, New Jersey is really close to New York City. So on that day, uh, I think he was on a ferry. It was something like that. 
Yeah, he was on he was on his way to a, a animation gig. Yeah, so and he uh saw the first tower fall and he was uh kind of just sitting there and he was saying his the thoughts running through his mind were, you know, what does this mean? Like what does the world mean now? Like all that kind of stuff and he said, but most of all what kind of uh shook him into shape during that whole experience was that everyone around him knew somebody in the building so he said that was a super powerful experience where you know he was obviously upset but he wasn't really upset for himself he was mostly upset for the people around him so he said kind of watching something like that happen directly in front of you uh kind of inspired him to like okay I, i need to do something i can't just sit around i can't you know just think about things anymore i actually have to do them so that's how the band started. I won't get into all the details of how uh, they met each other, all that stuff. Uh, Mikey Way, by the way, is his brother. So, uh, you know, no longer do you have to wonder about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so, Mikey Way, he he named it. He named the band before he joined it. He had the name, yes. and Gerard was like, "Hey, can we use that name, please?" Yeah, yeah. I, and he almost didn't I want forget- to because. Uh, it was it was such a good name. He was like, I don't know if this band is worth giving that name away for. Yeah, I forgot. It was like a, a Mikey Way worked at a Barnes and Noble, and he was looking at books that day, and he saw a uh, book. I forgot who wrote it, but the title of the book was Three Tales of Chemical Romance. And then he's like, Oh, we, you should name it My Chemical Romance. I forget who wrote yeah. the book, and it's going to be someone Ir- Irvine, super... Irvine Welsh. Irvine yeah, Welsh. That's that's mm. a famous author. So. Uh, yeah, so, uh, the band started and we'll skip over to, you know, all the people are in the band, uh, that we know. So their first release, uh, was in 2002. It was, I brought you my bullets. You brought me your love. And, uh, (laughs) here, here is the beginning of, uh, what I think is kind of, they get pigeonholed. I've always associated, uh, MCR as being pigeonholed in the emo genre and you guys know me i love emo music but i think that really like they don't get enough credit for what they are because you know people just say that they're emo but uh, well, yeah i mean later on know. down the road they deserve more credit but this album in and of itself is like it has all the cliches of of that era of, of music with all the, the titles yeah all the long titles it's it's but it's important to note that that you, you say it's of this era. I think this is early of the era. This is 2002, and this listening to this album, I was like, musical cliches, not cliches, but just like musical stylings, a lot of the breakdowns, a lot of the tones, a lot of that sort of stuff. They They were doing that in 2002, where I was hearing it in 2005, 2006, 2007 from like post-hardcore bands. And so they were starting a lot of these tropes that certain bands you might consider to be quote-unquote emo uh, were picking up later down the road. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not, I mean, who's to say if they were the first ones to do some of these things, but they definitely put it in a much larger spotlight for a lot of these bands to pick up. The Scream style on this album is so indicative of, like, 2006 post-hardcore music. Yeah, of course. Wasn't I think that was one of the reasons why they I know maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but one of the reasons they ended up signing to a big label was that they were seeing a lot of their friends' bands get ripped off with their different styles. And they were like, Well, I mean yeah. we have our own thing, so we might as well try to get out there and kinda 
capitalize on it before people start ripping us off and getting famous for it yeah and one thing i'll say and adam uh let me know if you agree with this is that because we did a uh, deep dive on this band is i would say if anyone hasn't heard this record but they've listened to at the drive-in it's very indicative of at the drive-in this album sounds a lot like that post-hardcore type of thing and uh, Hagen you were saying like oh there may have been people who did it before I would say that probably at the drive-in did and like that's not a burn at all like both bands are great but uh it definitely for me uh, it felt kind of like uh I I I saw those um I don't know if they're inspirations but they must be because everybody seems to love that band I feel like they're similar in this album to uh for sure to that whole scene and then like like Hagen mentioned that this album, they're not really a a product of this era or anything. They're kind of like part of the I don't know, creation of it to some degree, just because they were so early in it. Yeah. So, so before this, uh, you know, I said how important this band is to me, uh, uh, but this album uh, I did not know well at all before going into this. I had heard, I had tried a couple times to listen to it, but just had found myself, you know, wandering off to do do something else, which obviously doesn't bode well for you know how great the album is or whatever but uh this is probably the this is the only album that uh i really just didn't know well coming into it and i think we all said prior to this that you guys really only knew two of their albums and this was not one of them i would assume i I didn't even know this album existed actually me neither i i uh i had heard a couple of songs um was it vampire vampires will never will never hurt you i started to i was when i was listening to that song i was like when i heard the part that says someone get me to the doctor someone get me to a church i was like oh man i've heard this before (laughs) and then i realized in like in 2002 i was in a band that would be in a scene like this so you know i'm sure i would have heard some or all of these songs there really aren't any songs that like kind of um screamed out to me uh no pun intended uh but (laughs) i I did enjoy that that vampire song but i think that's the bigger song on the album out of all of it uh a lot of the fan favorite there were some songs like honey this mirror isn't big enough for the two of us uh i really uh drowning lessons uh that song uh really kind of gave me this like skate video and Plano Center vibes for anybody who remembers the Plano Center but like man that gave me just like I was like I could see this being an escape video and I, I I'd be going to fucking fast forward and buying the skate video and popping it in my Xbox to watch it <laughs> yeah I just you know <laughs> some of the things you can tell that they weren't a fully fully formed band I mean I'm I'm glad that they that this album was so varied stylistically to a certain extent, but I did think that the production on it made me get, caused me to get bored like halfway through it dynamically. I I didn't really feel even when they slowed down certain parts, like the intro demolition lovers, which by the way, that opening riff, it sounds like what guitar players write when they start getting good at like basic chords and moving them around. It's uh, pretty cheesy, but um, yeah, I think the production just kind of, ruin this i would like to hear this remixed and remastered or something like that i think the production is indicative again it's i mean it really it really is it's it's one it's of the scene of the time i think 
like you you look you look at the production of their next album which we'll get to and it's like okay well we're we're talking about a different thing because they now have different resources the resources that they had were minimal they demoed two of those songs in an attic uh and i mean it's like they 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 did record it in a studio but they also recorded it with like a person who comes from a similar like a similar place and so it it it's very much a first album to me like it it i agree that like it's i I wouldn't listen to it again. Like I, I enjoyed it, but I'm good. I don't need to. I don't need to hear it again. But like, but like the the it the turnaround time. It was recorded at the end of May and released at the beginning of July. That's that's a pretty insane turnaround time. Yeah. And so when you think about the production quality, y- y- taking that into account and the style of the music and the scene, it's just it makes sense why the production quality came out the way that it did. Oh, for sure. And Ed, they had. At this point, they had just gotten their second guitar player, Frank. How do you pronounce his last name? Iero. Frank Iero uh, had like just joined the band and yeah. would go out back into the van and write some parts, and then go in and record the parts that he had just written. So it was like still very new. Yeah, I think that they met him like he was a label mate, and like he basically like they had just gotten signed to a label and he was on a band that was already signed on that label and he kind of i think his band broke up or something and then he was like all right and they're like cool come join us and it was basically yeah. like that he was a so, he was like a fan cool. of the band he was in a band called pensy prep there it and is. they and they broke up like at the beginning of 2002 um and he was the lead vocalist and lead guitarist of pensy prep yeah so i got a couple more things on this album before we can move on from it but uh speaking of that experience uh gerard way had with 9-11 uh the song skylines and turnstiles is about that uh and you know you can listen to that song and not really know that it's not like he's straight up saying like name dropping and it's obvious um but when you listen to it knowing that in context or even listening to the album knowing hey one of these songs is about 9-11 you kind of you can you notice that it's uh, about that and you know it's definitely it's powerful in that respect but it's also not down your throat like a you can only listen to this thinking it's about 9-11 type thing but that that's just kind of an interesting was that the first song that he wrote for like for the band well for the band that he was about to start Yes, that is the first song, or that's what he credits as the first song that My Chemical Romance ever wrote. So, uh, you know, that's obviously a big deal for the band. Um, the uh, Another thing that you guys, uh, people may not know about Gerard Way, uh, but I assume everyone knows about him at this point with how popular the Umbrella Academy has become. Um, he is a, him and Mikey Way, uh, they grew up uh, reading a ton of comics and stuff like that. And so I think um, Gerard Way went to art school and that kind of stuff. So his uh, he always thought he was going to be a comic book writer and all that stuff. And now he is a comic book writer. He writes for – he's a, a DC Comics regular. He writes uh, Doom Patrol and all that kind of stuff. His run on that is fabulous. Uh, and then he has his own stuff, uh, the Umbrella Academy, and then so on and so forth. He has a ton of stuff he's done. But um, – because of that, uh, the band, every single one of their albums has a uh, concept. So every single album is a concept. And then uh, I don't know if they did this on this first album, but every album afterwards, they changed the their kind of stage persona. 
they're not just going up in jeans and a t-shirt. They have uh, outfits that they wear specifically for that tour, that kind of stuff. So uh, they're, they really become a theatric uh, band. I don't really know because, I, I mean, I just didn't see many videos or anything of them in this era. Uh, I really do feel that this was uh, a first album type thing. But uh, the concept on this album, it's a loose concept of a crime duo that ends up getting gunned down in the desert. It's kind of based off of Bonnie and Clyde. So uh, there's that. Um, uh, my final thoughts on their album are I see a couple ways that uh, debuts go. And uh, I think that this one is a solid debut. Like it's not bad. It's not like offensively, I'll never listen to it again. Uh, but it doesn't really, uh, it, it just voices that the band is not yet established in what they are, uh, even though there are interesting things on it. For the for the style that they are in, I think it's like the best you can ask for in a debut album. Listen to most bands in that in that style and their first album is going to not sound good production wise. And it's going to like, there might be really great songs and might be stuff that sticks out, but it's, it's, it's always going to be a little bit flat. Um, uh, they also put the album up for free on pure volume and MySpace, which of course they put it up for free on MySpace. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Along that like point, I was going to mention that I don't think this album came out on an actual label it was before they got signed right no it was on a label uh it was just well it was on like an independent was it, was it like yes, eyeball, yeah, yeah. eyeball or something yeah. like that it was eyeball yeah. yeah eyeball records yeah it was an independent thing but at that time they had uh i saw an interview with gerard way way where he was talking about how they had um label executives coming to shows and a and r people like really trying to scout them and that they took yeah. they took a long time to decide where they wanted to go are you guys ready to play a game sure Ah, okay. Uh, this game is MCR or MC aren't. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say that one was MC aren't. <laughs> so I'm gonna read um, two lines from a song. Okay, one of them is from an MCR song, and one of them is not. But the other one will be from a band of similar style genre. Um, and you just have to tell me which one is My Chemical Romance. Or not. I'm going to go last, by the way. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say you have to go last. <laughs> but each each quote will be from the album we just discussed. Um, okay, so number one. But does anyone notice? But does anyone care? Number two. I know you well enough to know you never loved me. Anyone want to hear it again? Okay. Dave, what's your guess? Number one or number two for MCR? Number one. Adam, what's your guess? I'm going to agree with Dave. Number one. Number one. Jackson. Correct. Yay. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Anyone know what song it's from? No. <laughs> oh, no, no idea. <laughs> it's from it's it's from Early Sunsets over Monroeville. Oh, my God. I win a shot. Uh, of course it is. A, a true banger. <laughs> you uh, win as, a shot? I win a shot. As Dave would say, that song slaps. I, dude, I hate that. I can't wait. Oh, you guys all doing shots? This is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing, though. I was gonna make everybody drink when they lose, but I guess you drink when you win too. Adam, is that, is that what, what whiskey are you drinking? That's how that works. Uh, it's actually rum. Oh, it's not okay. whiskey. Something different. Nice. As they're drinking, uh, so two years later, 
they, in 2004, their second album, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, comes out. Uh, this is the album that most people probably think is their first album. And I have yes. already... Yeah, I definitely did. This is the album I own on vinyl. Uh, it was the very first album that I ever bought that had the parental advisory on it. Ooh. Because I'm not okay says, fuck. <laughs> there was, there, there uh, four singles from this album. Is, I'm not okay, I promise. Uh, thank you for the Venom, Helena, and the Ghost of You. Or as my notes like to say, thank you for the Venmo. Oh, yeah, that happened to me, too. <laughs> yeah. They were way ahead uh, of their time. So yeah. I'll, I'll remind you that when I uh, read out the note that I uh, wrote for that uh, song. But uh, so, uh, you know, this album also has a concept to it. Uh, it is, it's widely accepted that the concept of this album is a continuation of the previous album's concept with the male lead character. Uh, making a pact with the devil to perform a gruesome task to pay his debts. Uh, so that's kind of the idea of it. Because he had to kill a thousand bad people. Yeah, something like that. Uh, and I, we'll talk about it later, uh, but I do have a question on how you guys feel about uh, conceptual albums, but I'd like to say that towards the end because I think that'll take up a kind of a... a a good amount of time and I don't want to detract from what we're talking about, but, uh, this is their first, uh, major label, uh, release on reprise records. Uh, it comes in at, uh, an solid 40 minutes. It is, uh, you know, I started writing down, uh, all the songs that I liked on this album. And then I realized as I was listening to it on vinyl, uh, I was like, Oh, Wow. I love this whole fucking album. There is not a bad song on this album to me. So I'm going to just go ahead and I'm going to recuse myself from anything. But I would say that the standouts for me are definitely, you know, the singles, uh, Helena, I'm not okay. The ghost of you, uh, thank you for the venom. And then, uh, jet set life has one of the coolest uses of auto tune I've ever heard in the bridge. Uh, and if, you're going to listen to anything that you don't know of MCR. Just go listen to Jet Set Life. Uh, wow. That bridge, it's fucking cool how he uses auto-tune on his voice. But I'll, I'll let you guys go because this whole album fucks. I listened to the... Oh, my God. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I listened to this whole... I listened to this album, like, back-to-back with the first one. And by the end of the first album, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so glad this is over. And... Then this one started, and I was the production was like just a million times better. And yeah, it's it's a night and day. I, difference I made my fiance grab her one. headphones, and I played the beginning of Disenchanted Lullaby or whatever it's called from the or what's it called Disenchanted. I don't. It doesn't matter. The one of the last songs on that album, and made her listen to the first song on this album and she was like whoa it's crazy yeah i mean it's 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 awesome the 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 whole album is is really really great and they were they were definitely going for for something else i have uh some interesting quotes from gerard way but uh, before i do those i think that um it's like it's it continues this whole thing of setting precedents for the genre in some way or like at least establishing them really really strong with like how a lot of the songwriting goes for a lot of future post hardcore stuff um there's there's definitely less like there's definitely less screaming um there's there's 
there's a quote that Frank said um, during the Black Parade press stuff that's related to this album. And he said, quote, when we did three cheers for Sweet Revenge, we didn't fit in. Um, there was a little less screaming and a little more melody, but it was still us. Never it was a case of, quote, don't put that melody there because hardcore Chuck, who took me to my first show at Fairfield American Legion Hall, is really going to be bummed at me. I don't care if I had to work at McDonald's for the rest of my life to play shows and ride in a van on tour. I've done it. I'll do it again. So he's basically, I mean, like, he's, he's saying, you know, uh, like, we're cool. This is who we are. You know, we're cool with not being this hardcore thing. We don't need to be part of the scene. But I still think they established something for that scene. Um, I think that they, they continued to do it. Um, Way, Gerard Way said that I'm Not Okay is a self-help pop song, which I like that concept. I think it's cool. He then, he then says that the album opener, uh, Helena, he shaped what the album is about. Uh, he said, quote, it revealed their dark side, which I, I chuckled about. Uh, but the song is about uh, their, their grandmother passing away. Yeah, so, so actually... It coincidentally uh when gerard way's grandmother died mikey way's uh, grandmother died at the exact same time it's that's pretty insane, freaky man. how that happened that's fucking crazy well yeah i mean his grandma their, their grandmother's name was was elena so they just added an h to the beginning of it but that it was when they made that music video for that song uh gerard way said that after the video they just didn't take off the outfits they were wearing and that's when they started really having a persona on stage and wearing not the same outfit, but the same kind of color schemes and ideas for the shows. Yes. Yeah, so cool. for this uh, show, I guess you can watch the music video, but for anybody who's not going to do that, it's kind of like a schoolboy attire, that kind of type of um, uh, suit and tie type thing. Uh, often they would have like kind of blood marks on it, it, you know, similar to the album cover, but uh, yeah. I don't think that it had really anything to do with concept other than, you know, they were just keeping uniform. That that album cover is so iconic. Can uh, can we talk about the drummer? Can we talk about the drummer? Go ahead. Yeah, so this is, uh, they, they find, Hagen, you got it. You're a drummer. You got it. Well, okay, but, but I want to talk because there's, there's tea to be spilled and there's rumor, and I don't know what rumor you guys read because I read multiple, and so there's a lot. Like the, the most of the stuff you read is just like, uh, they, he left. There's a new drummer, right? So they got Bob Breyer, uh, who is the drummer for the used, uh, another, another, um, other drummer in that scene. Right. So, uh, they, the band did not say anything about why they didn't say anything about why they, uh, parted ways. Uh, but there was, a. A rumor floating around that he was accused of burning the band's first van that Gerard and Mikey Way's grandmother bought the band. Like, like wow, arson. You like mean setting, the setting Elena? Fire to it? Yeah, that. Yes, that. All of that. Everything that you all just said. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, that that. That was the first rumor I read is that he left the he left the band or they kicked him out of the band because he burned down their their first tour van that uh I mean I guess that's a good reason. That's a very good know, reason. Especially because right around that time the <laughs> like their grandmother died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. The, uh, the other rumor I read was it was something about how, like, he wasn't getting the correct, like, song royalty stuff, and so he sued them, and then they kicked him out or something like that. But uh, I, I, I like the, um, 
the whole he burned the van down because that just it's a little more drama <laughs> they seem to have uh trouble with uh drummers as i'm sure we'll keep on talking about but uh who was the drummer for this what is it, it was uh... it was matt pelissier okay and if i remember is he the guy who was on uh black parade as well or is that that uh no no bob 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 Breyer. bob Breyer. he replaced he replaced matt for like the tour after um the album came out after three cheers came out and um then he was on black parade and then we'll get okay. into that later yeah so they have a different drummer for every fucking album that's what i thought oh yeah yeah so yeah. like well th- no that's not entirely true that's not entirely yeah true he was on, he was we'll on the it. last one too because matt matt would matt recorded on the first two um but he didn't tour this he didn't tour after three sweet after three cheers um, All right, it, it's convoluted, and it's like trying to follow the story of a Kingdom Hearts game. Who cares? It's a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it. Th- this is definitely something that you see with a. I I think in bands, a lot of bands, but especially bands in this style, there's like always going to be one member of the band that's just constantly changing, whether it be like a drummer or a bass player. Who was it for Paramore? There was, it was, oh, was it the bass player that kept changing. I think it was the bass player. Yeah. He kept, kept he, getting a, he like quit and then would come back and then would quit. And then, I mean, almost everyone in that band, except for Haley Williams and, and uh, I can't remember the guitar player's name, but yeah, uh, everyone's been, that's a revolving door in that band. I don't know why the drummers are leaving in this band. They, I mean, I, I guess if I believe the story that was told, that makes sense. But if we continue, as we continue, we'll find that more drummers are leaving. So, I mean, we'll see. I guess we'll see why. They, in support of this album, they like were opening for bands who were massive at the time, like uh, Avenged Sevenfold. And get this. So uh, I would say that the only other uh, album that would rival... Uh, the Black Parade for the most important rock album of the 2000s uh, would be Green Day's American Idiot. And guess who was the opener for the uh, Green Day American Idiot tour? My Chemical Romance. So, you know, <laughs> those lines uh, cross in more ways than just one. Well, and that, the, the producer, Rob Cavallo, yep. was, he produced American Idiot and the Black Parade. Yep. Uh, and also they toured with, I think, I think it was Killswitch Engage and they had like a co-headliner with them, which is super weird to think about. Yeah. So looking through all their tours, uh, it was crazy seeing all the types of tours that I was like, oh, wow, I forgot about that tour. So like there was most notably the Vans Warp tour, but then it was like, oh, the Honda Civic tour, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Uh, I think a taste of chaos. And I was like, man, what the fuck? I'm only 25. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can definitely so, hear, you guys. You, you can definitely hear that they were on uh, the Warp Tour, like the uh, "I'm Not Okay." It just reeks of Warp Tour, big oh, yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Are you guys, I, I just want to say I love this album with my whole fucking heart, uh, and I forgot how much I liked this album until I put it uh, on the record player to start it, and I was just like, okay, like. I was singing. I had to listen to this album twice because I was singing the whole time. And I was like, oh, I'm not actually analytically like thinking about this because I'm not removing myself from it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I sang every word to every song uh, except for the very last song. It, it's not a bad song, uh, but uh, I would say that the closing track is probably the weakest of the whole album. And that's 
called uh, I Never Told You What I Do for a Living. Uh, but that being said, you know, otherwise the album is like just fucking great. Uh, Hagen, what you got? Oh, I was, uh, I, I mean, one, I agree with you uh, completely that I, this album is, is absolute gold. It's, it's so, so good. Um, it's, it was a blast to listen to it front to back. I don't think I've ever done that. I think I've just heard, I, I've heard more than the singles I had found that again, like I mentioned, um, like, I think maybe you showed me a song or two, but I know Andy for sure showed me a song or two. And then I found that, uh, I had a couple of students. Hagen, you said that this album was absolute gold, but I'm just going to correct you. It's actual triple, actually triple platinum. Oh my God. Oh, it did. It, it That's correct. It did. It did go platinum. And that's true. It did. I do have that in my notes. You are correct. Uh, but so it, it is, it, I found that I knew songs, uh, from like from my students from friends and i was like oh wow i mean like there's just a lot of songs that aren't there are more than just the singles that are really amazing that are carrying through even into like current generations of teenagers who were really really digging this stuff man uh this the song thanks for the venom has the coolest fucking like guitar opening like wow i, I was learning that this week listening to it i have i have a quick question before i get into our game uh, how do you guys feel about the guitar playing in just across the board with My Chemical Romance? Because I've heard from some people that the guitar playing in this is pretty, uh, it's pretty important. Not in this album specifically, but My Chemical Romance. I think Ray Toro is like such a, like, I always forget how, you know, exciting of a guitarist he is. Cause like, you know, this was an era where you had bands like Fall Out Boy and stuff like that and Green Day who were dropping guitar solos. And then, you know, you have a band that's writing similar style music as that. But if you're actually paying attention, there are like meaningful guitar solos. They're in uh, the song, I'm Not Okay. They have a Queen-esque Brian May harmonizing guitar solo between Frank Iero and Ray Toro. It's fucking great. And by the way, growing up, people asked me if I was Ray Toro because we both have the same hair. So, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Jackson's first erection. <laughs> no, I think uh, the guitar playing is, is incredible. Like, but like the difference between the first record and then every record after, it's like what happened to, uh, to the guitar players? They just opened up so much. Yeah, and they it's it's two guitar players, like two yeah. um, lead guitar players. It's not a lead rhythm. It's like they're both lead. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's it it. I agree. It is amazing. Um, I have nothing like negative to say about it. I think it's just it's very interesting the choices they make. There's a lot of crazy harmonic choices and chord choices that are like they 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 constantly throw me for a curveball. Like that was probably one of the coolest things I found listening to their stuff in general is just like the decisions that were made songwriting wise were always fun. There was never something that I was like, ah, I don't know, seems a little like ham-fisted or cliche. It even if it was a cliche for the style, it was like this is done so well. Um, I mean, there is a song in, uh, on, I'm getting ahead of myself, but on the Black Parade, the song, what is it called? The Dead, the guitar player, the guitar player quotes the Woody Woodpecker in the, in his guitar solo. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, I mean, that's cliche. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if that's cliche. It's not, it's, we, yeah, I, I, it's just like, I, it's still a really good solo and I think it's clever, but, uh, 
I don't know. I also just think a lot of the stuff like Brian May super inspired all a lot of those solos and harmonies and things yes. like that, which I'm totally okay with because when you think about the fan base for My Chemical Romance, them getting a taste of Queen, which they might not be super familiar with because of what they listen to. Hope I wonder how many fans of Queen were born out of My Chemical Romance fans. Speaking of that, uh, I, I don't know if, Hagen, you were going to mention this, but uh, My Chemical Romance and The Used have a terrible cover that they did together of uh, Under Pressure. So Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. That sounds... Sounds like it has to be awful. <laughs> yeah. And okay. They, uh, they were friends. Um, Burt McCracken was on uh, You Don't Know What They Do to Guys Like Us in Prison. He was featured on that song. Yeah. Hagen, do your shit. MCR or MC aren't. You guys ready? Go for it. All right. Number one. The truth is hiding in your eyes and it's hanging on your tongue. Number two. Love is the red of the rose on your coffin door. What's life, life like bleeding on the floor? On the floor. <laughs> I'm going to go two. I'm going to go two now. <laughs> <laughs> you win. Take a shot. <laughs> Thanks, Jax. I'm sorry. I had to do that at least once. I won't do that for the next two. <laughs> What's life like bleeding on the floor? The floor. The floor. <laughs> so excited <laughs> well I told you can do you. it we, we should have just recorded you listening to the whole album that could have been a whole episode i'll happily do that i've like occasionally while re- researching these episodes i think about doing that kind of shit um just for like a little bonus thing for youtube or something but yeah all right so uh once again uh two years later they release another album and this makes me very mad as a songwriter that they wrote such good music in such a short amount of time wrote and recorded and released such great music and both big concept albums yeah like that adds a lot too and this one's massive so this is the big one this is uh 2006's the black parade um you know much like uh you know this this has a concept uh i I don't know if you guys want to hear about it but uh basically uh, every song, uh, I, I can, you know, name where you are in the concept type thing. Like it, it has a strong concept, whereas the previous two albums really didn't have something super solid. It was just more like, a, oh, this is, it has a concept if you want to think about it. But this one, you can really actually feel the concept if you're listening to the lyrics and whatnot and the, yeah. the tonal shifts of the, the songs. This one's really, I don't, I don't want to say obvious because that sounds bad, but it is a more obvious concept to it. It's intentional. I'll reiterate my statement of uh, that this is the most important concept album of the 2000 to 2010. I just think it it's super strong. It it has obviously stood the test of time with how people are still listening to it in 2020. Uh, you know, almost 15 years later, and the yeah. I would yeah, say it's a, just a contender the, to that would be uh, American Idiot, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's the only possible contender, really. Okay, but I okay, so I would say that it, in terms of what this what this album is is it's a rock opera, and it it care it. I think it's a much better storytelling device than American Idiot is. I think that we're dealing with people who actually are storytellers, 
we're dealing with somebody who writes comic books and knows how to tell a story and we can actually see that in the songwriting and feel it across the entire thing the, the music yeah. videos helped a lot with that too the visual idea yeah like understanding what the concept was well and, and even the visuals of the the album art and stuff especially the the like i guess the deluxe edition or whatever they had the limited edition box set thing they did had a whole like book of art and stuff too that went along the with whole it. concept is uh the lead character he basically he gets i think he's diagnosed with cancer i, I don't know if they i mean there's a song called cancer so that that would be the assumption and uh, there's a lyric where it, he says maybe it's the chemo or something like that yeah uh but uh they, he gets diagnosed with cancer. He's given two weeks to live, and the whole album is, you know, how he deals with that. He ends up dying, and he realizes that he goes to the underworld, and he's going, at some point, he realizes he's going to hell, and then he finds out, oh, in the song Mama, uh, oh, there is no heaven. We all go to hell. And then the song, uh, the album lives, or the album ends on a positive note, uh, saying, like, oh, famous last words, uh, the song, uh, the closing track uh, kind of stating I am not afraid to keep on living just kind of with this positive uh, outlook of like, Oh, you know, fuck it. I'm going to keep living. You know, it, it takes courage to live, which is kind of the whole idea uh, at the end of the story. But uh, once again, uh, I wasn't even going to attempt to write all the songs I like on this album. So I just wrote in all caps, the whole fucking album. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. I, I, uh, I will say that so whenever I listened to it, whenever you told, whenever you made the original statement about it being the most important uh, concept album of of the two thousands, uh, I listened to it a lot. It was a, it was heavy rotation at the time, and I never listened to the bonus track, and I still haven't because I refused to interrupt what the intention was. The intention was this this front to back thing. I've never sat down and gone, oh, now I'm gonna listen to that bonus track. I I. Even for this, I was like, no, I'm I'm feeling good now. Like it's over. I don't I don't want a bonus track because you they wrote it this way. This I'm is with the intention. you hundred percent. Yeah, I it, haven't either. Oh, I did. Yeah, I totally it, it listened to it. It feels gross that that exists. It's not. It's, so Dave, it's tell like, us. It's it's just like a it was, like a cheesy um, cabaret sounding kind of goofy. I don't know how to describe it, but um, I wish I didn't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just gonna say it feels weird to tack on bonus tracks onto any album like this, where there is a definite end. Like that just whole idea seems weird. But that, I don't that, know well, that was a big thing at that time. Was that. like with CDs and stuff like that, having a a bonus track on it was like you just let the CD keep playing. You know, a lot of bands were doing that at that time. Yeah, that's true. It just seems weird and out of place on an album like this. But I agree. Yeah. yeah. So the album comes in at, uh, you know, almost 52 minutes. So it's not a short album, but it's not ridiculously long. But, you know, it, it takes some commitment to sit down and listen to it uh, front to back. Um, uh, it, it's definitely their longest album to date at the time. Uh, they're, you know, the whole concept of this album is the Black Parade uh, and the band. Uh, that's what they took on as their kind of persona for the uh, tour like a Sergeant Pepper kind of thing. Exactly. But all black uh, marching band attire. Uh, and the way that they announced the album is they were playing this show at an arena and they had people outside, uh, 
you know, dressed up as those uh, doctors from like the Black Plague type thing. I forgot what those are actually called, but they were dressed up as that, like saying like, oh, the Black Parade. And then right before they were supposed to go on that night to the sold out show, uh, somebody uh, came over the loudspeaker and announced my chemical romance can't play tonight, but in lieu of uh, uh, them, uh, they have sent uh, another band called the Black Parade to play. And the band hadn't announced the album yet or anything. And for they let the crowd like get angry for about 20 minutes and the crowd started getting rambunctious and got really upset. And then finally they came out and it was obvious that the band was just, uh, that was that what, who they were going to be performing as for the tour, which, you know, is very awesome. interesting, but, uh, I, I bet it would have been super cool to be at that show to have that. Cause I know I personally would have been like super, like what the fuck I'm so mad about yeah. this. And then for them to come out, you would have had this immediate, like, Oh, that was worth it. That was so like, wow, they fucking nailed it. Man, and watching some footage from that tour, there's the is it the live in Mexico concert? Yeah. That was I the last that. show they played of the tour. It was so epic. It was like, holy shit. Like these guys that for me was watching that was like, man, I really didn't give these guys enough credit, you know, in my history of music where I hold bands kind of thing. Like that it's like these guys are more important than they get credit for. You were talking earlier about them being kind of pigeonholed in that early two thousand scene. But watching this is like a completely different thing when you see that concert live. And that's kind of my, like, it's become this kind of like life goal of mine of like just showing people like, hey, like I get it. They wrote I'm Not Okay, which is kind of this like emo, you know, anthem. But like if you guys just like if listen to the Black Parade once, that's all I ask. And you will realize that you're just kind of wrong about it. Like. Yes, they are emo, but they're so much more than that. And very much like System of a Down gets uh, stuck in this whole like new metal uh, moniker. And that's not fair to just put them there. Um, but, you know, I do have a question. Um, so Welcome to the Black Parade is one of those just like it has now become like one of those massive songs that's its own thing now. Uh, it's been called... Uh, you know, this generation's Bohemian Rhapsody. And I think that's totally true because if you play that at a bar, you know, full of people our age or younger or whatever, it just like, you see the whole crowd. Like, and I guarantee you there's uh, YouTube videos of that kind of shit. Like it is very much like, it's so iconic. Uh, so my question is, you know, like, what do you guys feel about that song? Uh, not being as close to this band as I am. So I'll say that, like, honestly, uh, that song, even in, even when I was, like, this, when this album was in my heavy rotation after our talk, uh, this that song was really, it's always a good song, but it's not my favorite on the album. It's great. Not my favorite. Yeah. I was listening to it on uh, speakers in my room while I was folding laundry, and my fiance and one of my roommates were making dinner, and I just heard them both just start screaming they were both they were both just singing along as loud as they could while i'm playing it off a speaker so i i, I would 100 percent. I, I don't know if i can like totally agree with the concept of it's our generation's bohemian rhapsody because that's such a that's such a crazy concept to think about of like it, it, it's a large it's a, that's, a, that's such a large thing but it is a song where if you were a teenager when this song came out you 100 percent know 
at least like the melody and you can at least have fun screaming it along like you said at a bar just like putting it on and just going and that's what i was going to say before you even before you even posed the question is i was going to say like when that song came on everybody was screaming i mean it's just it's just the way that song is but i do think a majority of people that you know were in their in their youth during this time i didn't know that song i didn't know it at all so i think if you were in that scene at all then you knew it really well but i don't think a majority of the people uh would even know that song well the first time that i heard that song was on like i don't know if it was the vmas or it was some mtv award show and they were playing at it and it was like they were outside in new york and i heard like the march and at the time uh this album came out in 2006 i wasn't a drummer i didn't i wasn't playing drums yet and i heard the march and i was just like immediately drawn to the sound i have a very distinct memory of being like what is what is this and i remember looking at the tv and being like i i i don't understand what's happening they're all dressed up i i'm you know being a dumb high schooler here but the sound immediately and the way it's produced even in a live setting on mtv was enough for me to go this is this is cool there's something that just pulls me in immediately right yeah yeah i mean I, and for me too i could hear elements from the first two records kind of they they set themselves up it was a really good evolution for them to f- arrive at this record and have it be such a big thing because it's like I think that they use the fact that it's a rock opera to their advantage. Some of the chord progressions and things, although they're interesting, at some points I was like, okay, yeah, you get away with this because it's a rock opera. Where if it were outside of the context of me already thinking about that, I might be like, oh, this is just another song with that progression. But at the same time, they have a way of taking very basic chord progressions, not to get too nerdy, but taking very basic chord progressions and distracting you from it sounding basic like they bring you into that world and i just wonder jackson do you know anything about how they wrote their songs no not really well um but i agree with you completely with what you're saying of how like uh i was learning uh you know uh songs from three cheers uh this week while listening to this stuff and i realized that uh I'm not okay has the same per- chord progression as the ghost of you. And it's very similar to Helena, uh, which is just like, it's crazy uh, how, you know, three of the singles have very similar, if not the same chord progressions, but they they sound starkly different somehow, but they also get away with some crazy shit. I mean, like the end, it, it, I mean, I, uh, do I want to get too nerdy for a second? Do I want to just like say, uh, it, do it, it? G G E minor C sharp minor C. How do you get away with that? How do you get? Uh, how the fuck does that band get away with that? They're not playing power chords. There's the third. You can hear it all there, and that's not that's not that's not a cliche thing at all. And that especially in their style. And I, I what I would say is that they get away with whatever they do because of the melodies they they have. Their melodies are what completely save them from any sort of like, wow, this is overdone because the melodies that are being sung are like they're one, they're singable and catchy, and two, they amaze you every time. Like the notes that are being sung and the and the lyrics, it's just too much. It's a lot. I, I, yeah, I, I think the my my favorite piece of music that I've 
heard through all of this was uh, the chorus from uh, Ghost of You. God, it's so good. It's unbelievable. And underneath it, there are some interesting chord changes where it's not just a basic thing. But the way he sings that vocal, I know I went back a record, but like the way he sings that vocal, it's just, well, for, I'm like, oh my God, I, I remember loving this song and really like being young Dave and just like, never coming home, never coming home. And like <laughs> getting so emotional about it when I was younger. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. he's definitely, he's great at writing a vocal melody. This album, I will say uh, that the, the front half of it, and I feel the same about the uh, other album, uh, Three Cheers. Uh, I feel like the front half is definitely the strongest of the album, which I, I don't know if that is on purpose, uh, but uh, it, it, you just like, I look at all these like first half, like basically and when I say first half from like one to uh, track eight, which is Cancer, like all of those songs are just like so solid to me. Um, and then all the rest of the songs I love, but like, I definitely, you know, I could omit those if I had to in like a, like, Oh, I'm listening on shuffle type thing. Uh, but like there's a, the song cancer is such a heart wrenchingly beautiful song. It's basically for the most of it, just uh piano and Gerard way singing about which, and you can take it out of context of the concept of the album and just think of it as a song of somebody talking about cancer, which like is like this ultimate evil that everyone can relate to. And it's just like, it's super, it's just beautiful in that sense. Um, and then, you but know, well, and before we get off cancer, the, the double track vocals in that song, I, w- I would love to know if at all, but how much it was edited because double tracking vocals in a, in a way that makes it sound better like adding that in is already a risky move but doing it that cleanly with that much emotion is like really impressive i was super impressed yeah. by that so this album uh gerard way does uh to a little bit of my chagrin uh he gets into uh instead of using like he did on three cheers uh auto-tune for you know an actual musical effect he uses it uh more for what it's actually designed to do and uh if you look up live performances of that song and this is not me taking away from gerard way's ability to sing dude can belt it he's incredible uh but uh, if you look up uh, videos of him singing cancer it is heavily auto-tuned so well uh, let me well let me ask you a question then with that and uh, um this is this is a, a I don't know how to phrase this, but like I thought about this quite a bit because of like you mentioned just what his like what his career history is. How like how proficient of a musician would you say Gerard Way is? Would so you I say think, that he is at all? Like, like I think that he's a, a amazing songwriter, but I don't know if he's a proficient musician. You know? Yeah. So he he does a lot of songwriting in the sense where he'll actually come up with the songs like. Uh, they he got the guitarist in the band uh, initially because he couldn't play guitar and sing at the same time. Right. So, uh, but uh, if you listen to some of the solo tracks he's released, um, they're pretty rudimentary when it comes to like instrumentals. Uh, so I, I think he's you know when what you're talking about being profic- proficient as a musician, uh, probably not super, but songwriting is probably his expertise. It makes me it makes me think about like the vocals being a thing of where you know he's not a proficient mu- not as a proficient musician as maybe some others of like, other band members are and so 
yeah, it makes sense he can't hit the notes the right way. He's been doing this, you know, heavily for the past, you know, five years of his life. And so he's probably fucking his voice up. He's probably doing some really... He's not thinking about that because that's not the way that he was trained. And he chain-smoked. Exactly, yeah, that too. <laughs> like, when he when he stopped drinking, he was, like, chain-smoking. So, Dave, I, I, I know you watched the, uh, um, the documentary. Uh, yeah. He... Gerard Way went, uh, he went kind of stone cold sober after three cheers, correct? And he's been sober ever since. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. At the height of their career, he went sober. Yeah. Well, I think he, I think he, it culminated in him almost uh, trying to commit suicide. And the tour manager found, or he got, a, he called his tour manager or something like that. And, he talked to him on the phone until he fell asleep, basically. Like, say, the Gerard Way called him and was like, I, d- I made a mistake. I don't want to do this anymore, and I got to, like, get clean for the sake of the band and, uh, you know, just stay on the phone. <laughs> and he helped. Yeah. And after that, he took, I think they took two weeks off or something for him to get clean, and then they went back on tour. I, I do want to say, before we move off of this album, uh, that the song uh, Mama has by far the weirdest and like i don't think it will ever be as weird as this collaboration ever again in my lifetime but y'all know who the uh mother at the end singing is no no it's liza minnelli that's awesome holy shit (laughs) it's so fucking weird weird. (laughs) it is the strangest most awesome collaboration i could ever think of like it's just like if you say my chemical romance and liza minnelli you're like yeah get fucked but like it makes like if you listen to it it's it's fits into the concept and then it's also like oh wow this actually works and it's super weird it's just like it's kind of this weird cabaret thing and burlesque at this point in the album it's ah man it'll never get as weird as that and i think just having there's so much to say about this album, but I think that's such a good way for us to close it up. Uh, well, I do. I, uh, before we move on, I have one question. I have a question for Adam. Uh, Adam, as someone who's not like you don't play any instruments necessarily, like professionally, but you you're right. an avid music listener. Does this album did it con- like not confuse you, but it did it perk your ears up a little bit when you were listening to it at certain points? Yeah, definitely. I think. Uh... Part of that is because I can hear a lot of, or I feel like I can hear a lot of the influences that they had, and you know, Sgt. Pepper's for a little bit, Queen obviously, some David Bowie kind of stuff, at parts, um, and I think that's even more interesting, or makes this album even more interesting because you can you can tell all those influences are there, and it's 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 weird how that comes through. Yeah, I was gonna say Adam, like yeah. they uh, the David Bowie uh, influence on this album cannot be mistaken especially so they on purpose in the first they use this uh a lot of the similar chords uh from uh five years uh the david bowie song the opening track of um uh ziggy stardust and the spiders of mars uh, and that was completely on purpose because they were like this is such this is one of our favorite concept albums and then they end uh dead with uh, a pink floyd um homage and i don't know pink floyd at all so uh it was just i saw a video where they talked about oh and here's where they were giving their homage to that and i was like oh yeah no i definitely yeah. hear it they, they definitely took some of the pink floyd 
inspiration from their you know performance on stage and stuff too to some yeah. degree from the wall so. yeah with all like the 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 gurneys and the people coming like, out you know yeah. and stuff like alice cooper well, yeah, just, and just like the yeah and just the mannerisms of him on stage like some of that felt like it was out of that movie. yeah yeah this album overall is just so the the production and the way that they mixed everything and the the songwriting and the especially like hearing Gerard Way's vocals, I feel like he really, really settled into his his way of singing at, for this record, at least. It, they sound like a band that knows how to make a record, and what a good batch of songs to finally decide that they want to, you know, make what I would say is their best record. Yeah. 100%. Well, and, I, and I don't I don't know how this album isn't just straight, like, five out of five on reviews, because it doesn't, I guess maybe it's not totally perfect, but like still, it seems like this is like their best album by far, and they settled into what they needed to be. I enjoyed reading the negative reviews about this album because <laughs> it's so fucking like people said the dumbest shit. I think my favorite quote I wrote down was um, a goofy record of bubblegum punk with Queen lapping at its edges and enough good tracks to justify the smattering of empty scream fests. Yeah, I was going to mention that one actually. What the Just fuck? the goofy it's... record part. Yeah, yeah. Bubblegum punk, go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's not... <laughs> that wasn't the same album that everybody else heard. But I would say that uh, now, in context, this is one of those albums that gets like kind of classic reviews where it's just like everyone looks back on it as a 10 out of 10, whereas, you know, I guarantee you if, uh, you know, I think rolling stone gave it like a four out of five i guarantee you if they were to do it again they would probably give it a, you know a five out of five that kind of stuff yeah, yeah right i mean it, yeah. maybe as a segue but bef- you know i wish i had listened to this one before listening to uh their danger days or whatever i don't know the Man, name i could have told record. you that but uh i think that kind of i mean i listened the to them in order yeah so. yeah so did i <laughs> hagan I could go on all day about this album. You gotta stop me. Yeah, are, are, are you guys are you guys ready for MCR? MC aren't. Oh my god, are you guys ready for MCR or MC aren't? Here we go. MCR. Let's do it. Okay. Number one, which one of us will burn until the end? Number two, if life ain't just a joke, then why are we laughing? Adam, you go first. I'm going to go with two. Dave. Number one. Jackson. So number one is from uh, uh, Newfound Glory's uh, album Catalyst, All Downhill Fuck. From Here. Uh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> number two, If Life Ain't Just a Joke, Then Why Are We Laughing? That is from the opening track of The Black Parade. I would second second track. Oh no! Ah! <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so uh, Adam, you got it right, so you have to take a shot. Dave, you got it I'm wrong, so you have to take a shot. Got it. <laughs> Hagen, you asked the question. And so Dave, you, you missed one. You missed one last time. So yeah, you did miss one. All right. So while they're drinking, I will uh, tee off the next album. So uh, do you have to? 
<laughs> so uh, the band, the band took a you know a couple of years to take a break. You know, uh, Black Parade was massive for them. I think they did multiple tours, multiple legs of a tour. I think is the appropriate way of describing that. But uh, you know, they were not burnt out, but wanting to take a break after so much work. Uh, and then so this album took four years to come out. Came out in 2010. Uh, it is called Danger Day, Danger Days, The True Lives of the Fabulous Killjoys. It is a concept album. It has a comic book that went along with it. I do own the comic book. I have read the comic book this year. It, uh, It's a fine comic book. It's decent. Uh, you know, of all of Gerard Way's stuff, uh, it's definitely not my favorite that he's written. But, um, yeah. Uh, and in this uh, concept album, uh, they took up the uh, mantle of the kill, the fabulous Killjoys. Uh, uh, all the band members were dressed as their respective, um, you know, character in the comic book, so that kind of stuff. Uh, the band was noted as saying that they wanted uh, this. This album wasn't going to be as uh, theatrical as the previous one. That they didn't dislike that, but that they felt when they listened to their live music that they uh, liked that better, and that that the albums just didn't have that same grit that their live music did. So they wanted to capture that on this. They said they must be. They missed being a rock band. Uh, and they, yeah, I, that quote literally blew me away. Um, it's so weird that they said that. I think that comes from a lot of bands at, at that point in their career where they're doing stadiums and like a really big shows. They, they start to see other bands that are also playing stadiums. So the genres get smaller. So then they consider themselves a rock band and to generalize it. And then they run with it because rock and roll is such a thing to be coveted. So while they're definitely not a rock band, um, I can see why they said that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But I, but I, I don't get it in terms of like, it's not like what they weren't playing couldn't be classified in rock ever. Like yeah. they, like you could always put it in a rock genre one and two, what they really, what they would like, there's other quotes that they had said and that they're like, they showed the album to friends before it came out. And a lot of people were like, said when they listened to it, this is like them returning to who they were. Plus learning about like, plus learning from the black parade, especially. And I, I read that and I got really confused um, because I read that after I listened to the album and I didn't get it. <laughs> it's really weird uh, hearing because uh, they were saying like, oh yeah, we showed it to some friends and our friends said that, hey, you've uh, rendered all of your other music uh, meaningless. Like this is this is the new My Chemical Romance. And I was like, what does that fucking mean? <laughs> yeah, get new friends maybe, get new friends. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, maybe don't marry people from mindless self-indulgence. <laughs> this was this this record was also it was produced by uh, the same guy from it was Rob Cavello from uh, the Black Parade, also produced this yeah. record, which is kind of surprising because I found the production on on the Black Parade was much more like warm and and huge, but for me this record sounded more. I, I want to say metallic, like it, yeah. it, it felt more, I, I don't want to say overproduced because like, I like understand the dumb, concept. Maybe felt dumb. <laughs> well, no, I mean, once you get, once you get past like 
how different it is from all their other stuff. And for me, when I, it, it took me until the song Planetary Go, because I listened to the Black Parade and this album back to back, that it wasn't until that song that I started to settle in and just go, okay, well, I'm going to listen to it for what it is. I'm definitely going to be the most positive person out of this group, which is to be expected. <laughs> um, I don't, by no means is this a perfect album. Uh, it's definitely different from what they are, but it's still My Chemical Romance. And here's the way, the way that I will generalize this album in a uh, description is I think it just, it feels like the band is having fun and they're doing what they want. Like 100% when you watch the live videos of this tour and you listen to the music thinking like, what would you do after the Black Parade? Do you do the Black Parade part two? Do you do an acoustic album? Do you go electronic? What do you do? This feels natural in the sense that the band, it really does feel like they're doing what they wanted. They didn't do, you know, what is the cookie cutter of like, you have to do this. And it does stick, you know, not in a Radiohead uh, fashion where Radiohead kind of reinvents the wheel as they go, uh, but it sticks to their uh, My Chemical Romance's fashion of like each album is different, but it is very obvious it is My Chemical Romance. Every album has a different feel to it. And I think we could all agree on that. Yeah, but I think you could, you could show me some songs from this record if not having known it or heard it and I would not guess that it was My Chemical Romance. Which is fair. And I, I do think that this album has a, uh, if I were to compare it to anything for anyone who hasn't listened to it, uh, it, it feels kind of like an Andrew W.K. vibe. Sure, yeah, I get that. I, I think I think that, okay, I agree that every album feels different, but you can actually see a progression. You can see a change. You can hear a change. It's all, it's all apparent that, like, you know, the... The, the first album sounds like, you know, early post-hardcore. The second album kind of expands upon that with more melodic concepts. And then the third album is like this amazing fucking masterpiece conceptual thing. And then this album comes out and I totally, un- I, I, I appreciate the idea of let's make a rock album. You know, let's just, I mean, it, sure, it's a concept still, but let's make a, let, the songs are very like, let's make a rock album. Uh, and I, I, I don't think it's a bad album. Um, but I don't think it's particularly, it's, it's not, it's not something I ever want to hear again. Like I'm good. Hagen, you're telling me that you don't like na, 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 na. So, so that, that aside, the song Destroya, I believe it's Destroya, sounds like they tried to make a Rage Against the Machine song. I could hear that. Um, it, it literally, I was like, I, I, I. I didn't get it. I was completely like, I didn't understand. And I think it was the song right after it, the kids from yesterday. I think it was that song that, um, there was something with a snare drum that every time they hit the snare, there was like a weird, it like, it sounded like a cowbell, but sounded the, like a trash the, can. The articulation <laughs> of the cowbell was taken out. So like the actual like hit was gone, but the pitch was still there. Yes. So it was, it was clearly separated from the snare drum. It wasn't the snare that was doing that, but it was like, it was like every time the snare was hit, there was this awfully annoying pitch Yes. that I did not understand why the fuck it was there. I started hearing that immediately. I was like, why, how, like what happens in the production of a record 
where this doesn't get noticed and cut the fuck out. I think that was intentional. That's what I'm saying. I think I think it was an add-in. But I it, think it, they, didn't they, serve, they, it didn't serve the arrangement at all. No. No. All, it was fucking dumb. For all the audio engineers who listen, it sounds like they found that frequency in the EQ on the seven band EQ that sounds like the basketball on the snare and they just boosted the shit out of it. Uh, they just narrowed it and then boosted it. Um, but yeah. okay. So I, I, again, I'm, I'm not an EQ person. I don't know a lot about mixing all that stuff, but I will say that it really doesn't sound, it sounds, it sounds like it hits right when the snare hits every time, but it doesn't sound like it at all is related. It doesn't sound like they boosted it. it I, I'm not a master of those things, but it does it to me. It sounds like they legitimately put something on top of it to add a pitch. And that was dumb. Yeah. I'm not a master of those things, but I for sure am a mixer of those things. Um, I will. So <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely more lighthearted on this album than you guys, but I think it makes sense in context of who I am. Uh, but you know, I think this is a decent album. I like it better than their first album, personally. Um, I do think there are two songs on this album that, you know, I would put up there uh, as some of my favorite of their uh, songs. I do enjoy the Na 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 song. I think it's just kind of a dumb uh, chante song. Uh, that song, Sing, is weird. Uh, it feels like it's from, uh, like, I'm not allowed to play that song around my girlfriend because she says that it feels like it's uh, from, like, a kid's movie. And she's like, I can't listen Dude, totally. to it. But then I found out it's from Glee. The chorus <laughs> is the cheesiest fucking thing that My Chemical Romance has ever done. This legitimately, they said, we don't want to be theatrical. We want to be a fucking rock band. And then they wrote a fucking ridiculous musical theater song. Because the Glee version sounds like the way it should be should have been played. <laughs> the Glee version is like, this is the way this song is supposed to be heard. Did you see that uh, Glenn Beck? Glenn Beck? got mad at that song because like in the like kind of uh of course he did. yeah the political commentator uh right wing uh conservative uh glenn beck apparently took offense to this song uh that because in the bridge they talk about something about you know corporations being bad i forget the exact lyric but yeah it <laughs> he he got upset saying like oh this is ridiculous and gerard way and then we're like dude what the fuck really of all right. of the songs of ours that you picked this is the one but you know all in all i don't think it's a terrible album it's not my favorite um but uh, there i think uh planetary go you know it, that has very much has those uh andrew wk vibes and then it has a really where it's kind of just like this kind of poppy type uh you know dance almost rock, almost disco it. Yeah, and but then they have this really cool. Uh, I don't know if you would call it a post-chorus or something, but da 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 da. I think that like vocal melody is super cool and just like it's an it's an earworm for me. Um, but that's picking out one part of a song. Uh, and then you know when it comes down to like actual songs that like I'm like okay from start to finish I love. Uh, the second song on the album, Bulletproof Heart, the gravity. I think that song is fucking wonderful, especially with the vocal harmonies. Uh, and then when all the drum comes in and he goes like gravity, ba 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 da 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 da. I'm like, man, that hits so hard in the last chorus, and I fucking love it. Um, and then the song "Summertime" is one of my like favorite, like kind of just like you know, fun loving uh, love songs. It's a love song to Gerard Way's uh, wife. Um, 
uh, I think her name is Lizzie Way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's just, it's a fun, you know, love song and I really love it. Yeah. And apparently uh, the way that uh, guitar uh, in the intro and the guitar line throughout the song was written was Mikey Way was just playing it and uh, Gerard Way happened to be around. He goes, what's that? That needs to be a fucking song. And then they wrote the song around that. So shout out to all the bassists in the world I, who write good songs. Yeah, but also like shout out to all my bassists who have heard their record and go, where am I? Because <laughs> several songs on this record, I, I was literally trying to actively with my headphones in listening like, where is the bass? Because I know they can mix the guy that produces record. I know that he can mix the bass properly where even when shit gets real heavy and thick, you can still hear the bass. But on this record, a lot of the times the bass was just not as present or maybe not even present. I'm sure it's a yeah. thing where if, if I were, if I heard the solo bass track, I would then listen to the song I was complaining about and go, Oh, there it is. I can hear it now. But without that prompt, I couldn't hear shit. Yeah. Not the way That's it's supposed fair. to go. Not the way it's supposed to go at all. Yeah, it, it, if you guys got more on this, I, I have a good way to end this album before Hagen's uh, MCR, MCR segment. Well, well uh, I, think, uh, I think it's important to note that this is uh, at, at, right after the album came out, they split with Bob Breyer. Um, and there's literally nothing about it except for, I mean, there, there's, there's, there's more than this, but there's a quote from the band and then Gerard Way came on Twitter the next day and like gave like basically more of the same explanation uh the quote to take out of it was this was a painful decision for all of us to make and it was not taken lightly so i mean it seems like it was a mutual thing and i i really didn't find anything about it that was like really you know really dramatic it just kind of seemed like it was the right time i think that it seemed like bob Breyer was doing other stuff and he wasn't feeling it he also is only credited for five songs. He only has five writing credits on the entire album, which is very interesting. Did, didn't they list it as like an injury thing? Uh, I mean, I guess that would make sense. I didn't see anything about it, but I mean, that would, that would make sense. Um, I, it, it's, it, seems, it seems like it was just a disagreement of sorts or like, you know, life changes, but there's, there's really not information that I could find about it that was, you know, that made sense other than just like, we're done. Sorry. Adam, did you have something you wanted to add before I wrap this album up? I just think this album is weird as a follow-up to the last album because it feels really underdeveloped um, in general, but also the concept of it too. is kind of like, all right, cool. Like evil corporation, whatever. Like it's not very original. I don't know. They're, they, it felt like they kind of phoned it in to some degree on that angle of it. Which is weird because it took them four years to do this. Yeah, so. it's like they, they could have written a Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Having read the comic, <laughs> like it, it's like a six issue comic, and I, I think that's a really good length for a lot of comics. That's how all the Umbrella Academies are structured, and it's really nice. It's really succinct, and it's there's not padding. But like with this comic, I was just like, I you know I was at the end of the fourth issue, and I was just like, man, I don't really know what the point of this is like i'm following the story but like it's just kind of like feels meandering and it just kind of feels like a, a tag along to an album which you know 
sometimes a lot i won't name bands but there are bands that i listen to that as much as i love them sometimes the concept can feel as an ap- afterthought especially in the actual literature so can we can get uh, no between the barrier <laughs> <laughs> what did you fucking say? What the fuck did you just say? So, Feuds, you know, part it, three. it's a, it's a bummer, uh, you know, because we'll talk about this fucking later, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Because Gerard Way is an amazing storyteller. <laughs> At his core, I think he is a storyteller. When you read his comics, you're like, oh my god, Umbrella Academy might be his best thing that he's ever done. And I'm saying that having listened to the Black Parade, it's just like he's just an amazing uh, writer. And so having read it, it, it's not a strong concept and it definitely doesn't come through the, uh, in the album either. So yeah, that that's why it feels weird is it's not feels a very on. strong concept following up their best thing that they did, obviously. And then it was like, that was plenty of time to develop something a lot better. And you just, you, d- you didn't do that. Like so. even, even better in a different direction. I feel like, like I, yeah, I, I, yeah I, this direction isn't necessarily bad. I don't enjoy it necessarily, but it doesn't mean it couldn't have worked. Yeah, in the realm of like at when Adam, when you said it was like kind of underdeveloped, I think that like hearing that record and knowing that they haven't been a band for a long time and that they're coming back, it may be curious to. I think that they're if they do release another record, it will be really good because they will have decided that the, it's worth it to do it. But I think if they had stayed being a band that they had the potential to turn into like a stadium rock thing, uh, not to be hot button words, but like, like a nickelback kind of thing where they get detached from their fan base so much because they're in that lifestyle that the songs, the songs are just totally out of touch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they lose how they got there. Yeah. And what, well, sp- yeah. speaking of being uh, weird and out of touch, uh, I'll wrap up this album with uh, the closing track, Vampire Money, was a protest. I don't know if you guys read. Oh, it's still about vampires, yeah, so yeah, that fits. Yeah, it is. But uh, <laughs> it, it was a protest song, you know, outside of the concept, what uh, inspired this song. Um, I don't know if you guys read up on this, but... Uh, it was a protest song of them being asked to contribute to the Twilight soundtrack where Gerard way uh, said that they kept getting asked uh, to be a part of the Twilight saga soundtrack. And uh, people like all their managers were like, you have to do it. This is the biggest thing uh, right now. And it'll push you so far further if you do this. And he was like, dude, fuck no we're not gonna do that and then they wrote this song called vampire money that's basically just talking like a oh greedy corporation but that being said on the exact same album they have a song called sing which was featured in glee featured in uh the super bowl it was featured in all this shit and i was like well Wait, they had whoa. they had another song from this record that was featured in Gran torino right yeah yeah it's like we, At- we we don't want to whore ourselves out to this corporate sponsorship but we want to have on record that we've done it to other things for the same record yeah and and i mean do you know that like i mean, I'm, i don't know if you guys know about like the glee battle with getting songs but like a lot there was a lot of news press and people said no 
And it was like a big thing in the rock world for bands who said yes and bands who said no. Like notoriously, the Foo Fighters, right? Col- Foo Fighters said no. That's a, that's a notorious one. Notoriously, Coldplay said no until uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, who was on the show and best friends with one of the creators of the show, was with Chris Martin and then so on. Uh, but like a lot of bands in alternative rock or whatever have notoriously said no because it's like, fuck you, we're not going to be on that show. And I mean, I, I'm a big Glee fan. And so I, I but I understand the, the whole I don't want to be on this this corporate Fox television show. Yeah, but to, um, to some extent at the height of Glee, um, getting a song on Glee would be maybe comparable to playing the Super Bowl in terms of notoriety. Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, the Glee stuff. I mean, like they they had an episode that aired after the Super Bowl that was like I think what I think the viewership was close to the amount of people that watched the Super Bowl. Right. Um. So I mean, they th- to have a song on Glee was huge, but at the same time, it's like why would you say fuck you to Twilight? Like you said, why would you say fuck you to Twilight and still put it on Glee? It's literally like the parallels are unbelievable. Um. So uh, I'm I'm gonna go into MCR MCR. Do you ready? Let's do it. So. Before I do it, I want to say that the irony of you mentioning that is, or the funny thing, I guess, is that uh, the the second one that I did, the lyric, the truth is hiding in your eyes and it's hanging on your tongue, that is a Paramore lyric from the song Decode, which was in the Twilight soundtrack. Oh, facts, boy. You got facts. Yeah. <laughs> I got some. Uh, okay. This is, like I said, this is going to be a, 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 a super fucked one. Uh, number one. <laughs> Three, two, one, we came to fuck. <laughs> number two, number two, I'm an emo kid, non-conforming as can be. You'd be non-conforming too if you look just like me. What do you guys think? Oh, God, God. I forgot that second one. I can't believe you mentioned that. I'm an emo kid, <laughs> non-conforming as can be. You'd be emo too if you were just like me. I have paint on my nails, makeup on my face. I'm almost emo enough to start shaving my legs. You can't. <laughs> oh man, who did that? I forgot about that song. It's it's a it's a duo called Adam and Andrew. Yeah, fuck yeah, MySpace. By the way, it's the first. That one. is it. The first one is uh, yeah, from I, Vampire I, Money. I, I, the first I one's no from guess. Vampire Money. I didn't I have thought, any guess I either. It a, I, I thought I was, it was a trick question. In no, that, yeah. In that fucking no. protest song, they say yeah. one, two, three. We came to fuck, and it's like three, two. Yeah, what? Vampire, vampire money starts with them yelling like that. They're it's calling call to out. each other like, "Yeah, are you ready? Like, yeah, I'm like ready. Pokemon. Are you ready? Yeah." And then it goes three, two, one. We came to fuck, and it does that so much in the song. It repeats but, that. Honestly. I, I might have not heard that song when I listened you to it. Well, you missed out. Because it sounds like it ends the song before that. It does. Yeah, that's it correct. Does. That's correct. With the national anthem of all things. Yeah, which is hey, fucking weird. Do you remember? I can't remember um, who it was. If it was the, the the person that got to narrate the album. Do you remember who that was, Jackson? Yeah, it's uh, one of the dudes from Mindless Self-Indulgent. Oh, was it? Okay. I read. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, here. I, I can have it pulled up. Oh no, I just, no, maybe. You know, I think that's another I, indication that they would have gotten because when you when yep. you do something like that on your fourth record, where the, with the like the three two one we came to fuck, you're thinking about like crowds singing that, and yeah. not about like writing an album to make your biggest 
artistic endeavor happen you know it's it's more yeah. about like how are the crowds going to react to this when we tour this live by the way that the adam like i really implore you to go back and listen to that song just the first 30 seconds oh, i will uh, i will the opening is so uncomfortable especially if you know that this is a protest song because there's the three two one we came to fuck and then they start calling each other out like it's you know they're like it's a roll call and it's like ray tour he's like ray you ready he goes yeah and then he goes what about you frank and he goes oh i'm there baby it's like oh <laughs> it's so uncomfortable which at that point it's like maybe maybe they're just having fun in the studio but also it's like don't put that shit on a record Save that for a documentary. Save it for like right. a, a, an, a like EPK for the record or something. But don't put that on your fucking record. Especially following following Black Parade too. I mean, that's just like it's fucked. So the so you're right. So the 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 radio DJ was the guy from Mind the Self Indulgence. But what I what I was mixing up is that um, Grant Morrison played a character in the video in the music video. Uh, comic book writer and friend of and friend of them but very very famous comic book writer grant morrison is in the music video uh playing a draculoid yep <laughs> yep 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 who cares who the fuck when cares? Worlds collide. <laughs> all right let's let's wrap it up i had questions about concept albums but now is not the time this has gone on long enough uh I can confidently say go listen to My Chemical Romance. If you only can listen to one album, it's obviously The Black Parade, but give yourself a chance and make sure to listen to The Black Parade and Three Cheers. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you have time to listen to The Black Parade, just listen to both of those. <laughs> There's not a good reason not to. Yeah. I think I mean I think that I think that honestly, if you're thinking about listening to like you said, you should listen to uh to My Chemical Romance. I think that you should give the first three albums an honest shot. I think that even though the first album is different and not amazing, you should you still should listen to it to put in context like what this band was. If you really want to give the band like an, like a, a true through and through shot, it the first album really gives a, a an amazing it set, it sets the stage very nicely for what you're about to listen to in the next two albums. You don't need to listen to the last album; you're fine. Yeah, I would say listen to listen to. <laughs> Start with three cheers, then go back to the first album, and then go to the Black Parade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would agree with that. Yep. Um, you know, uh, just to wrap this all up, after the 2010 record came out, they toured it, and then they disbanded in 2013. Uh, reports were that it was amicable. They just felt that it was time that the band had, you know, it, you know, they didn't want to outstay their welcome and they felt that the world was just kind of moving on without them. So they felt it was a good time to uh, hang it up. Uh, and then, you know, there were all these rumors for years uh, they were, uh, that they were going to get back together, all that kind of stuff, but nothing ever happened. And then late 2019, uh, they finally, they played their first show in LA, sold out immediately. Um, and then not too long after they announced a full North American tour and then other tour or other dates around the world, which uh, I personally have a ticket to see them in Dallas. So I am through the roof excited to finally see them. Um, and, you know, hopefully they'll come out with new music. If they didn't, I wouldn't be too upset, but uh, you know, hopefully uh, they all seem genuinely excited to be back together and just having a good time. I've seen videos from the one show they've played so far and it, you know, it looks like it. they really haven't skipped a beat. 
uh, it's a super important band. And I think uh, just how fast their tour has sold out uh, kind of shows that. And, you know, they definitely have a place in history more than just, you know, some emo band. So. And I, I think they definitely yeah. do have a place in history, but if they come out with another record and it is along the lines of the fourth record, they might run the risk if they make records after their fifth and sixth and seventh in the same vein of the fourth, they might run the risk of ruining their place in history. Yeah, that's always a possibility. Yeah, I could see some of that. I, I do have a little bit of faith, though, because from what I've read, they kind of got back together in 2016 and then kind of sat on the idea of a reunion for a while so i think they're hopefully aware of that yeah and yeah. i mean i guess we'll there's see there's that but... notorious interview that uh joe jonas because uh, the jonas brothers are also from new jersey uh that they the jonas brothers when they were working on their reunion were in a practice space and during a uh interview joe jonas said yeah we were practicing right next to uh, My Chemical Romance. I thought those guys were broken up, and the interviewer goes, yeah, they are. Yeah, what do I you mean they the were playing? Right? Yeah, and of all people, yeah. Joe Jonas broke that news. <laughs> and then I think it was like six it's months later, it was perfect. like actually announced. So everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's all I got. I appreciate everyone uh, letting me. This is one of the first times where I've just gotten to gush for a whole episode, so I, I truly enjoyed it. I will never do Radiohead or uh, Coheed. <laughs> Are you sure? Well, 100%. we already did Radiohead. Yeah, and I sat in the room biting my tongue the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was in good hands, though, with you, Dave. If you guys did Coheed, I would feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Okay, so maybe after Hagen and I do, maybe Hagen, I, and Adam should do Coheed, and then after that, make make you sit here and watch us. Yeah, record I couldn't it. do I think, that. I, I think the, actually put you couldn't. in the Skype call. <laughs> I think I think the four of us should do deep dives. But if you're listening and you uh, enjoy the two person deep dive, let us know. All right, thank you very much, uh, and don't forget. I'm an emo kid, nonconforming as can be. If you're emo too, you'd be three, two, one. We came to fuck. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>